Well, good morning and uh, happy new year. Xin yin kuai la. Gong hei fat choy. Sorry, my Chinese is a bit muddled. I am a, a little bit disorganized this morning, so you'll have to forgive me. I've heard that, actually, I've heard that that means I hope you get rich. Which, um, I'm not convinced whether I, I, I well, I wish many blessings on you, but whether, whether you get rich or not, I, I, I would more love to see God's blessings on you. Um, so I'm going to ask a question which uh, I ask fairly regularly, um, and I think it is an aspirational question, and it is something we should think about. Uh, but the question is, wh- uh, what do you think about the perf- uh, perfect church? When you think about the perfect church, what do you think about? Is it lofty spires, worn-out wooden pews, smell, the smell of church, maybe it's an incense smell, or just uh, the cold, hard stone, beautiful stained-glass windows? Or perhaps it's about the people who are warm and friendly, they're active socially, they take the time to talk to you and get to know you. Or it could be the staff. It could be the elders and the pastors. And they, are again, are also warm and friendly. They're wise and they're caring. Uh, and they have, as I said, the time to get to know you. They are, and they are passionate about the gospel, about the word of God, and about preaching it, and about evangelism. Maybe those are great things. Certainly that last one is something for me. Um, this, I, I want to see a staff who are passionate about preaching uh, the gospel, about um, being true to the scriptures. But that's not all. Obviously, with the people, I want to see uh, yeah, the outworking of those gospel, uh, that gospel message having a mark on a people. You see, this is the mark of the, an evangelical church that the gospel is uh, spoken uh, faithfully and preached faithfully and the congregation are taught how to handle the word. Um, And we hope that that will result in lovely, warm, friendly people um, actively encouraging each other and caring about each other. Um, And I hope that you've got that impression from this church and I hope that you see that as something that's important. I have to confess that I also love a beautiful church. Um, My church in London, the the one that I was at for many, many years, uh, was from a Norman church, uh, had beautiful stained glass windows, wooden ceilings. Um, We didn't have pews. Um, But um, for many builders in the Middle Ages and even up till now, This was the ultimate expression of their worship for God, creating a beautiful, serene, and peaceful place. Now, I'm not quite sure whether IBCBI can quite match up to that, but we make do. Um, But it's about the people, isn't it? The people have to be more important. But what are the trappings of faith 
and what are the trappings of religion. And that's what we're going to be tackling today. The difference between what are the trappings of religion and what are the trappings of faith. Now, I want you to imagine if uh, you are eating lunch maybe after church. I think that's a great thing to go and eat together. Um, or maybe they've invited you around, as a couple of people have, and I'm really grateful for that. And you imagine you're eating lunch or dinner with one of the church families. And their children, rather raucous and chaotic, come bounding up to the dinner table, um, making lots of noise and enthusiastic, enthusiastic about the food. And you just turn to them and say, shouldn't they wash their hands first? I mean, that's a perfectly reasonable thing to say. Uh, I'm not mentioning any church families in particular. Um, it's not about any particular church family. Um, but let's say they turn to you with these words. And it might sound strange, but let's, let's say they turn to you with these words. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, the people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and hold to the tradition of men. Well, I don't know about you, but I'd be quite shocked. Um, I'd be thinking, wow, where did that come from? Um, worship you, but, you know, I'm not asking you to worship me. Um, well... This is the answer that Jesus gives to the, uh, the Pharisees in today's passage. And we kind of lose the shock value of what he is, says here and what he's saying later. Because we've seen this from Jesus before. If we know the teachings of Jesus, we've seen him react in this way before. But bear in mind that the Pharisees were the members of the ruling council of Israel. Not to mention respected religious leaders and teachers of, uh, teachers of the law. Um, so it would be like politicians coming round to have lunch with you and then you reacting like this. Or the religious leaders, uh, maybe the bishops or the church, uh, the, the, not just the Baptist church elders, but the, the kind of Baptist leaders from... I actually don't know where the, the, uh, where, where the Central Baptist lead, leadership would be from. Forgive me for that. Um, but let's read the passage. Let's read the passage. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, please turn to Mark chapter 7. We're continuing our, uh, our series in Mark. So Mark chapter 7, we're going to be reading from verse 1 to 23. If you have mobile devices, then we are reading the ESV version. And the passage is entitled, Traditions and Commandments. So we're reading Mark chapter 7, verse 1 to 3. Uh, sorry, 1 to 23. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes that who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of the disciples ate with, their, with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. 
And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing, uh, the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do not, they do not worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother will surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you have gained from me is korban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside a person that is going into him that can uh, into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. From within, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word, that your teaching is clear, that it is relevant to today, that you call it very simply, Lord, we pray that we, that we are shown any hypocrisy that we have, that we are shown it clearly and that we are challenged on it. Lord, we pray that you continue to challenge us and teach us to become more like you. Lord, we know you hate hypocrisy and that you love the truth. Lord, we pray that we are a people who witness to you. And Lord, as we learn from this today, that we can become more like you. Amen. So we see that Jesus comes out, of, uh, out with an incredibly biting response. Uh, but we know from Mark and the other Gospels that the Pharisees have at this point gone out of their way to give Jesus a hard time and actually to trap him. 
Reading again, it again, especially within context, you can see the glee or perhaps condescension in their voices as they try and pull Jesus up on this point, that they try and point out the failings of Jesus' disciples. They want to catch Jesus out and they want to look down on him. They want to separate him and they want to show that he is not the holy man that the the public uh, believe him to be. These disciples, these uncouth men, some of them fishermen, but generally an uneducated, rowdy group, especially that Peter chap, um, uh, for and an uncivilized in their behavior. They come up to the table from the marketplace and they haven't washed their hands. In fact, we know that the word, we use the word Pharisee for somebody who loves to obey the law, not just strictly but going above and beyond. We know historically that the Pharisees, uh, they implemented laws that were not just in the Bible, but added extra laws just so that they wouldn't have any possibility of breaking those laws, and laws that benefited themselves. So you can see here that they wash their hands, but they also wash the implements. Those of you who are, come from Chinese families and go into these Chinese restaurants, the, the auntie who puts the, the, everything in the boiled water. But you can actually see it goes beyond that, washing the couch as well. Imagine doing that before every meal. Washing your hands, I understand. Maybe washing your face, I understand. Washing the cups, it's a little bit rude to the, the host. But washing the table, the chairs, the couch, it's a bit much. And we see here that Jesus calls them out on this law which was for people who didn't want to give any money to their parents. This was an excuse that the religious leaders would use. This money is dedicated to God. I'm serving God. This money is dedicated to serving God. Therefore, God has my all and I don't need to give my parents anything. So breaking the commandment, honor your father and mother. So Jesus' response is not surprising. These were the people of God who were supposedly his people, who were so quick to build up walls and reject others, to put themselves on a pedestal and to look down on others. Doesn't that sound familiar? That's very relevant today. It's a very common thing, isn't it? I see it in the playground or in the schools and obviously beyond school, in the staff room, in workplaces, I hear about it, the popular group or a certain clique making up rules or picking the right type of people so that they can be exclusive and looking down on others. The exclusive club or restaurant that only a select few with the right wealth or background can enter. I've been offered the membership to the East India Club because I went to the right school. Maybe it goes even further. The showing off that your children have reached a certain grade in piano or violin. Chinese tiger mums take note or have entered into the right uh, prestigious school or university. 
think that's something that's very common to both Eastern and Western you know, understanding, social understanding. Just dropping into the conversation that my child has got into Harvard, or putting that on the back of your uh, uh, yeah, banner on the back of your car, just so proudly, just so that you can be looking down on others. Yes, be proud of your child's achievements, but where does it cross the line to being exclusive? I am better than you, or I am part of this club that you are not. You see, the Pharisees took that to the extreme, and they made up laws that nobody could possibly obey all of these laws and used it just to bash other people and to look down on other people. Now what follows is Jesus in Jesus' teaching won't come as a surprise to any of us. So verse 15, if you've got it there, uh, but I'll read it out. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defiles him. If anyone would suggest that what we eat um, would affect our spirituality, they'd probably get laughed at. Although, saying that, that is starting to creep back in, and it always has been, in my lifetime, been the kind of teaching that's creeping in on the edges, certainly with modern spirituality, that what you eat does affect your spirituality, or extreme forms of veganism. I'm, I'm not against veganism or vegetarianism. I'm just saying that there are some extreme forms of veganism that will say, kind of, you should not take on meat because you are defiling your spirit with the spirit of the animal, or something along those lines. You may have heard of it. Um, but generally, nobody would take you seriously if you were suggesting, uh, suggest this. Interestingly, it's it is still many, there are still many religions that believe this. Don't eat this. Don't drink that. Obey these rules. Maybe every week, every Saturday or Sunday, every Sabbath, every holy day, you have to do this. But that's a discussion for another time. This, the thrust of this passage is these rules, these things that we make up to bar people from our club, our family, our church. I don't have three points for you this Sunday. Um, it's just this one point. What is it that goes on outside? Uh, what goes on outside of a person does not affect their standing with God. What goes on on the outside of a person does not affect their standing with God. It's what's going on on the inside. And I want to spend the rest of our time looking at the application of that. So the regulars here will notice something different about me. And I've chosen, it's, yes, I was disorganized and a little bit late this morning, <laughs> but this is not the reason what's different about me. Can anyone tell me what's different about me this morning? Sorry? Very casual. Yes. I chose to dress this way this morning. I specifically chose to dress in a t-shirt and shorts and sandals this morning. If you've seen me preach a couple of times before, you'll notice that normally I dress in a shirt, trousers, pants for Americans, uh, and proper shoes. 
So, I'll let you figure out why I've done this this morning. Now, there are very good reasons for me to be wearing a shirt and trousers. Um, to be honest with you, dressed like this, I feel okay. I mean, Mark's dressed like this. Well, so I, I feel a little bit okay. And it's Malaysia, so it's hot outside. Um, but normally I would be wearing a shirt. And there are some churches which certainly, uh, even churches I've uh, been to, where someone would probably comment on the fact that I'm dressed so casually. Maybe a, a raised eyebrow or two. I wonder whether anyone raised an eyebrow at me. Probably not. Um, and I know that there are churches which would actually forbid me from entering. So shocking as it sounds, if I went to a church like this, they would forbid me from entering. Dress code. Much like some restaurants or clubs, etc. But this is a church that would stop me from coming because of the way I dress. Do we do that? Do we judge people? And this is not just about the preacher. Do we judge people about the way they dress? Maybe they're wearing a particularly garish top or revealing clothes or shabby clothes. Do we judge them and immediately think of them as not our type of people? Do we go further than that? Do we judge what kind of Christian they are? About where they come from or how they speak? Or what kind of church background they come from. I know that people from here come from all sorts of backgrounds. Catholic, Pentecostal, charismatic, conservative, high church. If we hear that, do we automatically start judging them and maybe thinking, hmm, I'm not sure that they're a proper Christian. And if they can't quote Bible verses, if their conversation isn't littered with Bible verses, do we judge them as less a Christian? Are we building up those walls? Are we making our family exclusive to the right kind of Christian? This is my sixth year in Malaysia now. And every year since the first year, I uh, send out an email at the start in September inviting uh, my colleagues, especially all the new ones, to come to church. Um, and sometimes one or two come along. Those of you who've been here a while will know they do come along, but they don't always last. They come for one, two, maybe three Sundays. And I... I'm disappointed, um, and I sometimes go and ask, and the response I've got is, that's not our kind of church. When the ones who are being honest, the ones who are not so honest, oh, we're very busy, and it may, they may be telling the truth, I, I, kind of, I can't tell. But what does that mean, not our kind of church? What does that mean? Is it, is it the church building? As I said, we don't have wooden pews. We have plastic chairs. 
we don't have stained glass windows. We have bars. And we have curtains that block out the sun. And we don't have lofty ceilings. But we do have people. Is it the music? Is it the people? If you are a Christian, why are you judging God's people when God does not? Now, as I said, I normally wear a shirt and trousers when I preach. And I've talked... um, I think it is important to be smart when I preach. And I've talked to Eric, both Eric and Craig, about getting some nice chairs in the church. I haven't really pushed the point because I don't think that that's the most important thing. But the reason why I do this, dress smartly and think that maybe we should think about possibility of smartening up the church, um, is that people will judge superficially. Maybe they're not Christian. Or they are very young Christians and they haven't learnt what is most important in this faith. But if we can get those young Christians or non-Christians to come in and not having them fleeing because they have to sit on some plastic uh, picnic chairs, uh, then perhaps they'll hear the gospel, a faithful teaching of the gospel. But I believe those people are in God's hands. I believe that we should not offend people in any way except for the gospel. That is that we are all sinful, fallen, selfish, proud, arrogant people who need God, who need Jesus who died for us to restore us to a relationship with God. We need the cross to save us. And if we can get that message across to people who would judge on the basis of chairs or music or shabby clothes, being in shorts and t-shirt, if we can stop them running away, then, then we should do that. But I do trust that they are in God's hands. Now, in the rest of uh, chapter 7, we see a Syrophoenician woman coming to Jesus. And Eric will expand on this. Again, we lose the shock of uh, who this person is. As a woman, she wouldn't have been able to study the scriptures. She had no right to have a response from Jesus. As somebody who was not a Jew, she had no right to have a response of Je- from Jesus. So this is the flip side of what the Pharisees are doing. She comes when she has no right. The Pharisees have every right. They are born into the right family. They are born into the right uh, kind of um, uh, nation. They have followed the laws, and yet they are rejecting it by excluding others. I was trying to think about what would be the most shocking thing today. And I, I have to confess that IBCBI is a pretty accepting place. So I don't think there'd be much that shocks us. But I, I was thinking, 
Let's say a transgender Arabic woman in a hijab came into our church. So a transgender Arabic woman in a hijab comes into our church. Would they be welcome? I really hope so. And I, I, I would love to think so. And ask yourselves... Who do we set apart? Who do we think is not our type of Christian? What are the questions that we ask that are not about genuine curiosity to find out about a new person, but actually ways in which we would use to judge others? I can think of a few that I sometimes ask myself, and I am guilty. Do we ever slip into the conversation to others that we go to church or that we go to the church Bible study that we're a church elder just to show off a little bit, just to kind of look down on somebody else to put ourselves on that pedestal? These are important questions. Are we judging those who God does not judge? What gives us the right to do that? Verse 14 says, Hear all of you and understand. There is nothing outside a person that is going into him, uh, that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Let me pray. Father, reveal the truth to us of how we can often be hypocrites. That you saved us when we didn't deserve it. When we weren't being good, when we weren't looking to you, when we were being selfish. That we were only thinking and living for ourselves. Lord, help us to be accepting of those who are our family and those who are looking. Lord, help us be, to be that church that is a mirror of your kingdom. That people can marvel at this group of people. That the people can marvel at this community. That we can be accepting and loving and caring because you loved us, because you showed us how to love. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen.